I'm going to talk about uh, all have to do with general principles applied in a very specific way. And so we're going to talk about marriage, whether it's a knot or a noose. And uh, you might think that's funny. Uh, you may think that's stupid. But uh, nonetheless, I've dealt with enough people that to them, marriage is more like a noose than a knot. We say, well, you're going to tie the knot. That's fine. We're also going to talk about, and I'm going to do two sermons on this. So when I quit, this one may sound like a little open-ended, and that's on purpose, because there's a second sermon two weeks from now. I will not be here next week. I'm on vacation in about uh, five hours. I'm going to be on vacation, and uh, I won't be back till the sun- Sunday following that. But uh, anyway, uh, we're going to look at how we deal with this. Now, I hope that you brought your sense of humor with for the sermon this morning, because if if you can't take a little bit of sarcasm and a little bit of underhanded, you're probably going to be offended by a few things I say. By the way, I have tried not to make it offensive. Uh, on the Internet, um, I don't know when it came on the Internet, where uh, something about eight rules, uh, a dad's eight rules to uh, date my daughter. And uh, I've taken that and made it a sermon outline. I have gotten rid of a bunch of them because there was no way I was going to repeat those anywhere in public or to anybody. But uh, a few of them uh, were very good, practical things. And what I have done is I've looked at them and said, here's the Bible principle behind that. Also, um, and I'm not sure how far I get this morning, but I'm going to talk about a a second issue that's going to come up uh, over and over again, is not everybody's going to get married. And that's the truth. And uh, we need to keep that in mind. And so we'll look at the biblical principles that deal with this. We're also going to, and this comes to the parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, what is the role of the parents? What is the role of the family in that future for our children? And the Bible does have a lot to say. In fact, is for this sermon, the original research that I did, I spent more time on three verses of Scripture than the whole rest of the sermon all put together. Because at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there are three verses that deal with that. And they are not easy to, to uh, look at. So, um, and to look at and understand, I mean. So I'm going to look this morning and uh, hopefully take you down a road that will help you to think through some of these things. So starting out, well, this is the dad's rules, and I've changed it to for dating my child. So I'm going to talk about guys and girls. Rule number one, boys, if you pull in my driveway and honk, you'd better be delivering a package because you're sure not here to pick up anything. And uh, you better be the UPS guy or the pizza delivery guy because my daughter's not going with you uh, if you sit in the driveway and honk. Girls, if you get in a car that's just honked in my driveway, I will assume you're not returning. But being delivered to a distant location, never to return. And yes, I have the right to be uptight if that's the case. Now, there's a biblical principle behind that. And that's the one that I started out talking about a few moments ago. Do parents have a responsibility, a privilege, and a right in training and directing their children, including who they date, who they hang out with, and all those other answers, uh, other questions? The answer is you absolutely have a privilege. You absolutely have a responsibility, and yes, you have responsibility in that direction. 
It is an obligation on your part, biblically and practically. Let's face it. They want to start dating before we would even let them have the keys to a car. And we would say, there's no way you're getting the keys to the car. And I, I know my kids, uh, one of them in particular, I said, unless you clean up your act in the next six months, you'll never touch a car on your own because you're not even responsible enough to do other things. We absolutely have a responsibility to know who our kids are with, to know the other people, even to know their parents and all those kinds of things. And I find that parents go... They're going to do what they want anyway. They throw their hands up and say, you know, who cares? Uh, some cases, who cares? In some cases, I can't do anything about it anyway. I propose to you that just like anything else dealing with your children, you have a responsibility. Are there other issues involved? The answer is yes. And before we're done with these couple of sermons, we'll talk about some of those. Age is a huge one in that direction. By the way, what is the biblical principle behind this? It's this. The biblical principle is that in the Bible, when you check it out, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, it says this, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. So he is giving instructions to the parents and the grandparents and the, and the adults of Israel. He says, there are some things that I am placing res uh, restrictions on. And you need to know what those restrictions are. One of them is you are not to intermarry with the heathens around you. Now, I got to tell you, young people don't go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to really be scrupulous about these kinds of things. No, they're not even thinking that way. They're thinking with their hormones. They're thinking with their eyes, but they're not thinking with their brains. That's the parent's responsibility. But here's what it goes on to say. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. It goes both directions. They are, and we do this in our wedding ceremonies today, giving away the bride. That's a biblical concept. That's showing that there is at least nominal agreement by the parents that it's okay or it's a good thing for this young lady to marry this young man. On the other hand, for guys it says, and you shall not take their daughters for your sons. And so there needs to be, and we don't really do this part, but there needs to be some token at least of the parents of the son saying, and this young lady is, the, is someone that we approve of to marry our son. There is parental responsibility. The question usually, that is, that is like given. Exactly where that falls on a scale from uh, arranged marriages to kids do whatever, somewhere in the middle there. I don't know that I can tell you an exact but I do know there is responsibility on behalf of the parents. Please, if you're a parent, do not just say, well, our kids are going to do whatever and let them do that. That is not the right thing. If you're a grandparent, you have influence on your grandchildren. Please use that influence to talk to them and to encourage them in that direction. Encourage your kids to help their kids in that direction. There is absolutely responsibility. And parental involvement is more than simply giving permission to marry. That's why I like this first point. 
It starts in the beginning, because if you don't start having some input from the very beginning, when it comes to the end, you're going to feel like you have your hands tied. And I encourage you, with your young people, to have influence every step of the way and take that influence and use it. Rule number two, boys, you do not touch my daughter. You may glance at her so long as you do not peer at anything below her neckline. If you cannot keep your hands or your eyes off of my daughter's body, I will remove them. It is not, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. It's, it's, is, it is if you use it, you will lose it. And girls, when you're with my son, you shall not show, allow to be touched, or talk about anything that is to be reserved for marriage. He's already charged in that direction. Don't encourage him. The truth is, when we are younger... And when we get older, because I deal with the, the adults who are already married who don't deal with these things in a godly way. The biblical concept is that women know how to get attention. That's not hard at all. Let's face it, God made you attractive. That's the way it is. God chose to do that. I think us men would be so selfish and self-centered that we would never care. But God has made some choices. And he made uh, hormones, he made looks, and uh, it's easy to go in the wrong direction. The hard thing is to do what is moral and good and proper and right. That's the hard part. The biblical concept is this. And in Proverbs, as you know, it's a very practical book. It simply says this, and there are lots and lots of things in the Bible about every one of these points. But in Proverbs chapter 7, it says, uh, in verse 10, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. I haven't heard that too much lately, but when I was a kid, it's like, yeah, that person, you know, that girl's dressing like a prostitute, which means she's showing her wares. She's trying to make sure that everybody's eye is caught by her and the way she does. The truth of the matter is, the way you dress and the attitude you have and a whole lot of other things absolutely show a lot about who you are and your intentions and your direction in life. There's no doubt about that. In fact, it is in chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, it goes on, With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And now look at the second part, because that's still part of my first point there. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Now, I helped butcher many times growing up. We did it every year between Christmas and New Year's. That's what we did. No cow, no pig, no whatever said, oh, you know what? I'm going to the butcher shop. Uh, isn't this great? They have no idea where they're going. They just know they're going someplace. The truth of the matter is, that's what us guys are like. Because we don't necessarily think with our brains. We think with our emotions, with our hormones. God designed them to be very strong. But he also has said, no, no, I've given you a brain. I've given you a standard to live by. And he expects us to use that standard. And as parents, we need to encourage our young people. In the second service where we have most of our teenagers, I'm going to tweak this because I'm going to say, hey, guys, you know what? You know when you start thinking wrong. Hey, girls, you know that you're dressing to catch the guy's attention because that's what we do. 
Rule number three. Boys, I'm aware that it's considered fashionable for boys of your age to wear their trousers so loosely they appear to be falling off their hips. Please don't take this as an, as an insult, but you and all of your friends are complete idiots. Still, I want to be fair and open-minded about the issue. So I propose this compromise. You may come to my door with your underwear showing and your pants ten sizes too big, and I will not say anything. However, in order to assure that your clothes do not in fact come off during the course of your date with my daughter, I'll take my electric staple gun and fasten them securely to your waist. Girls, my son has a fertile imagination. He's had that since he's 12. Any clothing that attracts his undivided attention because it's provocative, missing, tight, or see-through is like pouring gasoline on a fire. Keep your goods covered. What may be fashion for you is passion for him. The biblical concept is that there is such an idea of modesty. I saw, and some of this stuff is so ridiculous... I saw our neighbor kid trying to mow the yard, and I'm telling you, if I had to mow the yard like this, if, if you forced him to do this, this would be torture. But he would literally walk three steps and then have to pull his pants up, and then he'd walk three more steps and pull his pants. I mean, I, I am telling you, and, and no kidding, my wife saw this too. She said, did you see the neighbor kid? And I'm like, yeah. Literally, it wasn't hanging on, his pants weren't hanging on his hips. They were below his behind. Seriously, I am not joking. I can't believe how he even walked, much less mowed the grass. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, there is such a thing as modesty. The Bible absolutely says that. For example, in talking specifically to women in the verse that I'm going to use here, it says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. What does he mean by that, proper clothing? Uh, a fee bag? No, that's not what it's talking about. God is not against looking good. That is not the point. Modest and discreetly, not with braiding of hair or gold or costly garments, but rather by the means of good works as befits women making a claim to godliness. The truth is, the way you dress does indeed, to some extent, and understand, it's not all of it. People get caught up in fashion and stuff, and, and when we look back later, I have a picture in my office. My wife's not here. I can use this illustration. <laughs> a few of you knew us back then. My wife wore dresses that literally, they were those uh, A-line things. When she got pregnant after we got, she quit wearing them before we got uh, married. But after she got pregnant, she actually folded the bottom of the seam of her dress up two inches and wore it as a maternity top. That's how bad it was. I look back and I'm like, how stupid. I got to tell you, I didn't object back then. So understand, if you're talking to girls, it's like, well, you know, what's the problem? Yeah, it's a problem. I don't care if it's girls or guys, it's a problem. The way you dress does say something about you. And biblically, that's a, a fact. Rule number four. Don't, don't be offended by this one. I've, I've tried to clean it up as possible. The English language has plenty of proper and perfectly good words to describe the opposite sex. Respect for the differences is reflected in the usage of those terms. 
At no time do I expect to hear my child, or anyone else's for that matter, referred to as an old man or an old lady, a female dog, an upright two-by-four building material, a woman of ill repute, a young chicken, or any other offensive, hurtful, or disrespectful term. You know what? Just like our dress says something about us on the, from the inside, our words absolutely do. What comes out of our mouth, God says he judges us by. Because from the inside, that's where it comes from. And the things we say do matter. They absolutely do. In counseling the, and, and dealing with teenagers, as well as adults, unfortunately, the garbage and the horrible verbiage that I have seen in the last several years is despicable. Absolutely inexcusable. And I'm not talking about people that don't darken a church door. I'm talking about young people and adults who consider themselves, call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. It's horrible. Your TV's got a foul mouth too. So does the world around you. But the truth is, you don't need to talk that way. And I've got to say that if... If somebody came was dating my daughter or my son, and I heard them using words like that, I tell you what, I'd be about ready to take their head off. I, I just got to be perfectly honest with you. In Romans chapter 12, it's, in verse 17, it says, Respect what is right in the sight of all men. See, there is such a concept of respect, and it is shown in a number of ways, and one of those ways is by the words that we use to describe or to talk to that other person. There's no doubt about it. You do get judged by the words you use. There is no way to get around that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you know what that tells me? Then when words like this are being used, something's wrong inside. That's what God says. I'm not making that up. That's what God says. So I encourage you, grandparents, you see your grandkids using words like that? Don't, don't get in a fight with your kids, you know, their parents. Let them know that's not appropriate language. Rule number five. You've been told that in today's world, sex without utilizing a barrier method can, of some kind can kill you. Let me elaborate. When it comes to sex, I am the barrier and I will kill you. <laughs> I said, don't get offended by these, but uh, the truth of the matter is, sex is good. It's expected in marriage and only in marriage. God is the creator of these things. And he meant it for a good, for our pleasure, our benefit. No doubt about that. But anything outside of, of marriage is wrong. And we need to let our kids know that that's the case. It's not, don't get caught. Make sure that your girlfriend doesn't get pregnant. Make sure that you don't get some kind of disease. That's what the world is saying today. And i got to tell you that young people are irresponsible and asking them to use condoms instead of abstinence and asking them to use condoms so they, something bad doesn't happen is totally ludicrous. It absolutely makes no sense. That's just the way it is. 
God has one verse that kind of puts a whole lot together. It says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God says, maybe you get away with it. Maybe you can connive and get away and sneak around and, you know, do what I've asked you not to do, and people won't catch you. But I will judge. Whether it's married, adultery, or whether it's somebody who isn't, fornication, God says he will judge. He says, marriage is to be held in honor. I don't know if you know what the word honor in the Bible means, but it means to give weight to, to treat as valuable. See, when you give weight to something, be like you're talking to two people and one's a known liar and the other guy's known to tell the truth. If you hear two different stories, which one do you give the weight to, the honor to? Which, which answer do you value? Well, the guy that has the reputation of telling the truth. That's what it's talking about here. And God says marriage is to be held as something that's weighty, something that's valuable, something that's precious. And it has things that in it and as a part of it that are for marriage only and no other time. And it will tell you that uh, people will say, yeah, but we didn't go all the way. We the truth is you're heading that direction. And some of those things are for marriage and marriage only. That's just the way it needs to be. That's our that's our standard. Rule number six. The following places are not appropriate for a date. Places where there are no parents, policemen, or youth leaders within eyesight. Places where there is darkness. Places where there is dancing, holding hands, or happiness. Movies with strong romantic or sexual theme are to be strictly avoided. Movies that feature garden tractors are okay. Ball games are okay. Old folks' homes are better, etc., etc. The truth is, not only what we wear and what we say shows something, but what we do also gives us a reputation. It says something about who we are and what our intents are. There's no way to get around that. We like to think that we can divorce what we do with who we are on the inside. But what we do on the outside helps to describe who we are. If you talk to somebody that knows me, you say, what's a guy like? They're probably going to, if they know me from tractor pulling, they're going to say, oh, he's, he's the guy that does the tractor pulls. If they know me from church, they'll go, oh, yeah, that's Pastor Paul. He, uh, well, I just said it. That's Pastor Paul. You know what? What we do does describe and does show a lot about us. It's the way it is. No way to get around it. And what people do in their dates it's the same way. You can never get away from that everything has an effect on what people perceive and shows us who we are. In fact is, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it says there, there, if therefore a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then he goes on to say, Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from my pure heart. The places we go, the things that we do, 
can set us up for a fall. He said, there is a place to flee. And I got to tell you, when your emotions start taking over, when your hormones start taking over, you can instruct any young person, that's the time to look for the nearest exit and get going in a different direction. But better yet, keep the mind from pure heart going in the right direction, staying out of those places to start with. And I realize that every now and then we get jammed up. But the truth is, when you find that out, you look for the nearest exit. That's what we need to tell them. That's true for adults. Notice that all of these principles are true for adults as well as for young people. Rule number seven, do not lie to me. I may, be appear, I may appear to be pot-bellied, graying, balding, middle-aged, dim-witted, out-of-date, uncool, has-been. But on issues of relating to dating, I and your mother are the all-knowing masters of your universe. If I ask where you are going, where you have been, and with whom, you have one chance to tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I will find out anyway. I have a shotgun, a shovel, and five acres behind the house. Do not trifle with me. You know what? This includes who you've been talking to on the phone. Instant messaging on the uh, computer or any other form of communication for that matter. You see, the biblical concept is you don't get away with anything. If I had the privilege, and I do not, I could stand up here for the next several hours and tell you all the people who I've dealt with in the past 23 years, who thought they got away with something. i got to tell you, I don't know of any of them that got away with anything. They always get caught. Tell your young people, long before they date, tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth the first time. By the way, if they don't tell you the truth the first time, they've already lied to you. Understand that. The truth sets you free. There is no doubt about it. God tells us that. God also tells us there is nothing that is hidden, Matthew chapter 4, verse 22, except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret that it should not come to light. God is very clear. Truth is important. God is truth. It's one of the first verses that I ever taught to my kids because my kids, like every other kid, start lying when their lips start moving. That's just the way it was. God is true. He doesn't lie to us, and you don't lie to me, and I won't lie to you. That's the way it should be. Because anytime you lie, you know you're covering up for something you shouldn't have done. And if you don't say it right, if you don't give the truth the first time, you're still lying. Number eight, if you threaten, harm, monopolize, manipulate, control, or any otherwise uh, bully my child, my strong sense of family protection will kick in and I will be your worst nightmare. I will take your actions personally. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. My original no exceptions dating rules were written for my daughter Missy while she was at Word of Life. Because the guy up there liked her. No, he tried to control her, and she called home and said, Mom, Dad, what do I do? Well, Dad goes, Whoa, no way, is that? And so I wrote 13 no exceptions dating rules. That was my original thing, and you'll see that next sermon, because I, have, I expanded to 15. It includes a lot of these things. 
But one of them is, you are nobody's possession. Even when you're married, you're not somebody's possession. At that point, you're one flesh, but you're not somebody's possession. And any dating or boy-girl relationship wherein one tries to control, manipulate, or monopolize the other, it's bad news. And i got to tell you, I have seen it over and over again. Is if you talk to this guy or you talk to that girl, I'm going to... It, it threatens. I mean, I've seen the threats. I've heard the threats. I've seen what happens. It is absolutely bad relationships. You don't do that in friendships. You don't do that in marriage. And you don't do it in dating. God is very clear. We are to treat others the way we would be treated. And none of us want to be controlled, monopolated, monopolated, yeah, put two of them together, manipulated, monopolized by anyone else. We don't like it. And guess what? When you see that in your young people, absolutely, you need to step in and let them know that that's not right. Number nine, if you encourage, persuade, or persuade, uh, my child to argue, rebel, or disobey my rules, our door will be locked, our phone disconnected, and my fear of strangers will be triggered into full-blown xenophobia. If you don't know what xenophobia is, that is the fear of strangers. The truth is, you are the one that raised them. You know them better than anyone else. And anyone, whether it's a date or anybody else for that matter, who is telling them, hey, don't listen to your parents. Don't uh, follow their rules. Don't respect them. That person already has a disastrous relationship with your son or your daughter. And you need to speak up. You need to do something about it. Rule number 10. Any talk about radically changing college plans, lifestyle, longstanding family traditions, or marriage needs to be known by us. Change scares me even more than you dating my child. We have spent a lot of time, energy, and money raising our child. We will not calmly stand by as you erode away our efforts. You see, you are the expert on your son or your daughter. Not some other 16, 18-year-old. They don't even know who they are yet. As... Us old guys say they're not even dry behind ears yet. Okay. By the way, you remember when you were 16, 18, you thought you knew it all? If you can't put up your hand, I will because that's the way I thought back then. <laughs> I also got to about 21 and, or 22 and got married, and then I realized my parents were a lot smarter than I ever gave them credit for. And I realized that all ever since then. The truth of the matter is, it says, My son, hear your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You are the parent. You have the responsibility to know what your children are doing, including their dating. That is not something that is just them. The Bible will not back that up. I'm not saying, I am absolutely not in favor of arranged marriages or anything like that. The Bible won't even back that up. But you need to be involved at all times. And young people, your parents not only have the right, but they have the obligation to be involved 
in every part of your life. And that includes dating, that includes your relationships with your friends and those of the opposite sex. It absolutely is. You know why? Because they're there to protect you. We talked about the kinds of love in the Bible, and one of them is family protection. My rule number 15, and I'll close with this, simply says, if those that are related to you and know you the best are putting a cautionary vibe out toward you in that relationship, you had better pay attention because they're looking out for you. Let's face it, when you think you're in love, you're not thinking straight because your emotions have taken over, your hormones have taken over. You're not thinking the way God designed you to think. You're not acting in appropriate ways at that point. You need somebody, as it were, to watch your back. God gave parents, youth leaders, grandparents, friends of the family, whoever it is, people that know you. It could be teachers, coaches. It could be all kinds of people who know you and are there for your good. They're not there to tear you down. They're there to save you from possibly a lifetime of consequences, a lifetime of grief that can come from inappropriately interacting with the opposite sex. I encourage you. You might say, this didn't really have anything to do with me. Truth is, all of those principles apply to every person, not just our young people. And we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our minds, our mouths, our actions, the things we do. We need to guard them. And God says there are things that we absolutely need to flee from and others that we, directions that we need to go. If not, you will pay a price. You will get caught. God will hold you accountable. As he says, God will judge those things. We're going to close with a word of prayer. Let's, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has given us principles 